Hello and welcome to The Dirt, in partnership with Marshall's Garden. We're the podcast that doesn't get bogged down in the weeds of garden rules. We just want gardening to be fun. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, Grow Your Own's deputy editor. We've got another jam-packed episode for you, and with it being the season of love, it's only right we speak about the planting companions that should be paired up on your plot. Plus, we'll be sharing some inspiring ideas to keep you busy in the garden this week. But first, we're joined by gardening writer Alex Mitchell. Welcome to The Dirt, Alex. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Where are you joining us from? Are you in Kent? I'm in Kent, yes. Um, a village outside um, Seven Oaks. Ah, have you got snow? We've got a lot of snow. In fact, I've been having a snowball fight outside this morning with my son, which is quite funny. Oh. Um, but it's a bit powdery snow. It's not very good for snowballs because it's not clicking, you know, sticking together brilliantly. Yeah, no, it's very, very, very snowy out there. Very Narnia-ish. Yeah. The second I see snow, I just stay inside because I will fall over if I try and go out. So I just well, know yeah. that I need to stay indoors, in the safe, in the warm. Well, also, we've got sh- we've got sheep and um, we've got one lame sheep. So I've had to go and bring her back to our field. And I've got her um, hurdled in the barn in some straw, Aww. but she keeps escaping the hurdles. So I'm dash- I've literally just been out there to feed, to give her some water. Um, so snow, yeah, when you've got animals to look after, it's not quite so much fun, actually, because you've got to keep the water going and all that. Oh, yeah. And also, I suppose it does cover up the garden. So thinking of times before the garden was cloaked in snow, um, could you tell us about some of your big gardening successes over your gardening career? Well, I was thinking about this and um, I realised that pretty much all my successes are either things I didn't plan to do or things <laughs> in a polytunnel because polytunnels just, uh, it's like super sizing gardening, isn't it? I mean, I gave up my job as a journalist when I worked at The Telegraph years ago, deciding I wanted to grow vegetable plants and, and create people's vegetable gardens for them, mm. which was quite a bad idea because I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> so I got this massive polytunnel and grew all sorts of things in there. And it was incredibly exciting because you can grow anything in a polytunnel. And I grew amazing tomatoes, amazing lettuces, and just lots of plants I grew on to sell. But the tomatoes were probably my biggest success in the polytunnel because they were sun gold and gardener's delight. And I and I grew them right through till about December <gasps> because in the polytunnel you can do that. And so what I did was I, I, I realized they just wanted to keep growing because obviously they weren't du- – sort of checked by the end of summer like they were outside and so all I did was I just kept chopping off the leaves and so I ended up with these incredibly tall bare stems like vines which I suppose tomatoes actually are vines aren't they um and then trained the tops along horizontal wires along the top of the polytunnel so I ended up with I mean I don't know how long those tomato plants must have been by the end but it was you know meters long and kept being able to pick tomatoes from the ends and um and I sold them actually uh, at the farm gate to people who passed by in little paper bags for, I think they were a quid for for 500 grams. Mm-hmm. And that was quite fun. And then I also sold some lettuces to my local greengrocer when I lived in Greenwich. Mm-hmm. It was a very cute little greengrocer. And I had these brilliant winter densities growing in the polytunnel. And he took a whole crate off me and sold them to all the, um, you know, the Londoners who wanted those. So I, that was quite success, I felt, because it was a financial um, <laughs> transaction. Although, <laughs> I mean, it was quite funny because I'd go to the greengrocer with my crate of lettuces and then he'd give me, you know, a fiver for them or something. Yeah. And then I'd go to the local cafe and have a toasted sandwich, which cost a fiver. And I'd be like, what am I, you know, yes. you realise the reality <laughs> of growing things. It's all, 
it doesn't add up. So yeah, things like that. And 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 otherwise, it's things I haven't planted, but have, have just liked where I live. So herbs, because I live in my garden is incredibly dry and sunny. Mm-hmm. So um, I planted one thyme plant and one oregano plant when I moved in. And now I have to cut it back every year. They have sprouted all over the garden and in the free draining soil. And I just am utterly just fighting it all the time. So I've, I can grow all of those sort of things without trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's like that, really. I like this idea that there's no rhyme or reason. It's just the, uh, you know, the stuff that you just threw in and didn't really think about too much that have done the best yeah. well it, it, it yeah because it's like the pumpkin I thought was dead because I got given this pumpkin seeds by this guy who um was a really inspirational gardener called Zion Levy and um and I was working my book crops in tight spots and he said oh try these these squashes and I tried to grow them and they grew they sprouted in a pot then they sort of seemed to have given up the ghost and I just chucked them on the compost heap went away forgot about it and about a month later I was just walking past the compost heap and there was this huge plant growing in there and I suddenly realized what it was and I traced it back and it it was a pumpkin and it was the pumpkin I'd thrown away and um it was particularly nice, really, because Isaiah died um, quite soon after I met him unexpectedly. And mm. and I just thought there was something quite, I don't know, it just felt, I mean, I'm not a sentimental person particularly, but I did kind of think, wow, that's really nice that mm. that survived. Yeah. And, um, and I've kept those seeds this year and I'm giving them away on Instagram to anyone who wants them. I've sort of got about 12 people all over the country, people in Ireland as well, someone in France wants them. And I'm just going to send out, you know, four or five seeds from this pumpkin I actually think it's a giant Hubbard squash um, to, um, you know, see if they can grow it as well. Because I thought that would be sort of thing he did. Because, yeah, that was what he did. He sent, sent out free seeds to people. He wanted to kind of circumvent the whole um, the commercial side of seed growing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And show people that they can save their own and, and have their own supply of food. So... Oh, that's so lovely. It's such yeah, a lovely... that's so I know, lovely. It, it was really lovely. And, yeah. it, it, and so it's often the unexpected things in gardening, isn't it, that you kind of get the most pleasure from mm. that you didn't necessarily plan. Yeah, I think as well, it shows how much seeds and plants want to grow. Like the fact that you're throwing them on the compost heap and then right. they're coming back. I mean, we spend so much time as gardeners stressing over if things are going to work, if things mm. are going to germinate. And then you see that actually they really do want to grow, don't they? They really do. Unless you want them to grow and then they just don't. I mean, it's just classic, <laughs> isn't it? It's like the tomatoes. I mean, everyone's had tomatoes sprouting in their compost heap, haven't they? Mm. And then every year you agonise over getting exactly the right temperature as you germinate yes. your tomatoes and everything. It is, um, it is, it's just a constant learning curve. That's mm. what I love about it. You know, you never feel like you know it all. And I've always felt that the more you know, the less you, re- the less you actually feel like you know, because you're kind of going on to a new a new level mm. so when I started growing vegetables when I was sort of in my mid-20s um, I knew so little that I every little thing I learned I felt oh wow I know loads you know so um, mm. I grew one tomato and I was like oh brilliant I know how to grow food um, but of course didn't really know anything so it never gets boring however much you learn does it you always sort of want to go into a new group of things or try a new thing or just start like planning how to make your own compost even that's a whole other level Mm. and you can always take it on a bit further yeah I like that you can almost 
come in at a real entry level and do this, this and this. And and you can, you know, totally have a lot of fun, get a lot of food, enjoy that. But then, as you say, you can then take it up if you want to the next year. And as you learn more, you do realise that there are these like extra levels, almost like a video game. Yeah, yeah. it is like a video game. And it is. And, and also, I think that's why it's really important for when people do begin gardening, that they're not intimidated by things. Mm-hmm. And that because that can put people off. Because when I often talk to people, they're like, oh, I have no idea. Everything I touch turns to everything I touch dies and mm-hmm. all this kind of thing and they're just obsessed with the looking at the small print of the seed packet and absolutely trying to get everything right but I always think it's like making a cake you can make a perfect cake or you can just make an okay cake but it's still a nice cake and I think yes. if you're planting something yes you can plant exactly the right depth spacing the right ph the right this right that and it can take you you know hours of agony to do that or you can just sort of play it by ear a little bit be a bit more flexible Mm. and then if it doesn't work learn from it so on that note uh I feel like there's some good garden failures coming up from you Mm -hmm. and I'd love to hear some of them so have there been any things that have really not gone to plan at all yes mostly things that got eaten by animals because I do own these ridiculous sheep and (laughs) I love them but they do eat everything I mean I had I had an um an orchard of 49 apple trees which I planted, um, and they've eaten all but 17 of them. So oh, that's goodness. my fault. Yeah, so I put uh, plastic <laughs> around them, but they just sort of don't care about that. They get back on their hind legs and they bring, they pull the branches down and just eat the whole tree. That's so, so um, yeah, oh, it's, wow. it's bad. But that's my own fault, you know, you live, live and learn. Um, and also I feel sorry for them when they haven't got enough grass, so I let them into the garden and then they ate all my peas last year. And I've got hens, they scratched up my carrots, all that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, other things like just not understanding how things cost and things like heating. I had this polytunnel, as I said, and I remember I had a lemon tree. It was in a pot and I've been given it mm. and I kept it going each year. Obviously, it's died now because no one can keep a lemon tree alive for more than about three years. But anyway, I had this lemon tree in a pot and I put it in the polytunnel and I thought, well, I have to keep it heated because it's a lemon tree. So I bought this sort of heater. I created a sort of section off with bubble wrap, which took me about a week, obviously, to build. Put this lemon tree in its pot in the centre and then put this heater by it. And the polytunnel was actually 25 miles from my house at the time, which is another matter. But it, I was living in London and the polytunnel was in Kent. Oh, and um, so I heated this um, this lemon tree for the whole winter. It produced maybe two lemons <laughs> of it. And I did afterwards think, you know, I've replaced the canister. I mean, in terms of the environment, what a disaster. Plus, I could have flown to Tel Aviv and back and bought a lemon, <laughs> you know, for that cost. <laughs> so those kind of things, I think you live and learn. It's like always about the money and like, you kind of have this idea that gardening can be cheap and gosh, you can waste a ton of money in the garden. My yeah. goodness. Mm-hmm. It's just by going, I need this truck. I need this apron. I must have this big <laughs> of secateurs. But I've made loads of those kind of mistakes. But also one other thing I must say, which is quite serious actually, is because I got this very bad eye infection last summer from my, I think it was from my water butt. Oh. It was very, very serious. And um, I might need to have a corneal graft because I can't see now out of one of my eyes. So one thing I, that was, I suppose, a failure because I didn't bear in mind the importance of watching out for bacteria you know I think one thing about gardening is you have this idea oh gardens they're so healthy Mm -hmm. and they are but you have to be careful Mm -hmm. because I was fiddling around with water pumps and saving water from the rain and and it was all kind of algae and stuff and I'm pretty sure that's where I got this nasty bacteria um in my eye yeah so um that I think is a failure because um I didn't take 
care you know and I think I wish I'd known that before I would have been like okay I, I do need to take these things seriously mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but then apart from that it's just the usual planting things in the wrong place you know I mean planting aubergines in the shade that sort of thing I mean we all do that don't we um but but I think probably the biggest failure I ever made was my polytunnel again when the, we didn't pay the extra to have side rails and anyone who has a polytunnel know about side rails they basically create ventilation inside mm-hmm. and I decided that all the plants were going to die because it was so humid and they weren't, they were getting mildew. So I, um, I thought, well, it's not going to hurt if I just cut some windows in the, in the polytunnel with some scissors, right? So I got some scissors and I cut these little porthole flaps down the side. And then I thought, oh, it's fine because I'll just put some tape round so it won't tear, you know, it'd be fine. Um, and as you can imagine, that didn't work out very well. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, it was like every time I went back to the polytunnel, the flaps were getting bigger, the holes were getting larger. And by the end, you know, I mean, it was, uh, you had to give up. I mean, the whole thing was sort of ripping because the wind got to it, you know, and of course, when the wind gets to it, it's kind yeah. of... Yeah. So, what did you do? Did you just have to replace the hole? No, in the end, I just kept taping and taping and taping. And sort of in the end, that polytunnel was such a mess. In the end, I ended up giving it away um the plastic probably just got you know this is another terrible thing that's failure the plastic probably ended up god knows where um and i gave the frame to a local plant nursery who just repurposed it and reclad it Mm. um because that whole business didn't work out me trying to grow plants for people's gardens because i was completely clueless um and didn't understand business really but that's, you know, another thing. I mean, I, I, I am quite good at brushing over failures, I've realised. My, <laughs> my friends always say that to me. They're like, oh, it's great, Alex, because whenever you think that something goes wrong, you always just start something else. So I am quite good at that. <laughs> so, um, for example, with the polytunnel and all of that, that obviously costs a lot of money. But um, I, from that, got my column at The Telegraph where I wrote about growing vegetables. Yeah. And that led to a book. And so, in a way, I kind of think, well you know maybe it was all part of the same thing and I had to kind of do that in order to understand yeah Mm. you know all of it so yeah so quite a lot of failures really (laughs) oh and one other thing I would say is never try to germinate shop-bought coriander you know herbs you always think I can grow these things but I've tried that it doesn't work because it's been um in there too long or it's been treated or something like that so moving on from failures do you have any Sneaky tips and tricks that you would be able to tell us? Well, I think mainly my tips and tricks have been is to look around you for things that you've already got and use them in ways you may not think you can use them. So Mm. you really don't need to be buying lots of things to do stuff in the garden when you can have stuff hanging around the shed. That's what I've learned. So I, for example, use bricks. I use tights. I use rocks and I use a lot of wool from the sheep. Now, I know everyone hasn't got wool, mm. but it's a fabulous mulch and uh, excellent mm. weed suppressor. So I use that instead of weed suppressing membrane, for example. Uh, I use that to, if I have plants that are a bit uh, vulnerable and I don't want them to dry out, I will put wool around them. And it also stops the slugs slightly because they don't like going over it very much. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a big fan of looking around and seeing what you have and making use of it. So um, with, for example, um, old tights, if you uh, put rocks in them, mm-hmm. you can create brilliant weights, which you can then 
a tie to a string. This is so sad and geeky. This is the kind of thing I like doing, you know. I'm, I'm obsessed <laughs> with these kind of sad things. So I've got this wall in the garden, which is quite low, but it, it I have access to both sides of it. And I didn't want to drill into the wall to put a climber up, to, up it. I was growing a kiwi up it and a Japanese mm-hmm. winebury and a squash, a red curry squash. And I didn't want to have to drill in. So I um I just put rock in a in a piece in a pair of tights made a string through the rock over the wall and then you've got your string and effectively you've got a a, a rope for it to climb up but it's oh. weighted on the other oh, side wow. so I use that kind of thing a lot I make um little cold frames with bricks and I've got an old pane of glass I just move around the garden and with bricks you can just protect whatever you want um and uh yeah any sort of weld mesh can be used as well for um attaching pots on the wall mm. or hanging things from you don't need to by a specific garden trellis um and also tights can be good because you can protect peaches if you're growing peaches from um birds with them mm. and you can store seeds in them you can store onions in them that kind of thing yeah but the other hack i think i learned is um is through experience which is that um is to write google reminders on my is to i've realized if i write google reminders on my phone yeah. then I don't yeah. have to remember anything. And I do write a diary for my vegetable growing um, and a proper old-fashioned book because I find that really nice, just having a notebook and writing in it with pen because, you know, these days it's all about computers and it, it's just something nice about sitting with a book. Anyway, so I write that and I note when I plant stuff and what, and things. And then later I go back and write what happened. So often it'll be disaster, don't do this again, or this was not that tasty or... <clears throat> much too closely planted together whatever and then I see what worked and if something worked I'll put that date in my diary for the following year so I've already got my dates for example of when to sort of bring in my chives over the autumn or or when to plant my potatoes and that way I haven't got to remember anything it's just going to pop up on my phone and um, Mm. I find that makes means I don't forget so much and but it's not stressful. It's kind of easy. Yeah. So um, I recommend using technology for that kind of thing. I yeah. think you're so right there. Remembering stuff, yeah. you know, is half the battle. I think you, you it know, really you is. don't want to have, you know, things that have gone wrong, but if you haven't got a note of exactly what went wrong or, or perhaps why you think it went wrong, then you're not going to be able to to yeah. make those adjustments mm. for the next year and, and also it's really nice when you know you're using your own experience and you know that it worked for you it's not just something you yeah. read in a magazine because sometimes those mm. things might be different different climate or different soil yeah, or whatever so right. yeah. I love that because it kind of feels quite sciencey. I like the fact you can control small experiments and learn on your own and find out things for yourself mm. I mean as a gardening writer I find a lot of the time it's very easy to recycle information and I sometimes think probably I've been guilty of that and I try not to do it. But it's very easy to read things and just take them as, oh, that's what that's what it is. That's what happened, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and have I actually tried that? No, but I just accept that because everyone writes that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the older I'm getting, the more I'm sort of becoming a bit more kind of forensic about these things because I feel like I need to really do this you know if it does it work to cut these back does it work to plant them this far apart you know do experiments so I I find myself doing that kind of thing a lot these days like the other day I found this weird uh, lava on my um, I think it was um, kiwi vine or maybe uh, yeah I think it was kiwi vine anyway mm-hmm. and I thought well, is that friend or foe you know I didn't know what it was and I thought oh well I'm going to just catch it and see what happens so I put it in a jar with some 
uh, leaves. <laughs> I left it with smells <laughs> in the top, and I checked on it, and eventually it hatched into a hoverfly. Oh. And it was great because now I know. I mean, obviously, I can yes. look it up in the book, but I quite like doing that kind of thing, and I think that's part of the fun of gardening is those little. Yeah personal yeah. project mm-hmm. so uh, my hat would be just observe everything around you all the time and live and learn by what you've seen yeah by what you've experienced and by what you found works for you and that you know don't get intimidated by reading what everyone else is doing um get ideas sure you know inspiration and that's lovely reading things or seeing instagram and fantastic ideas but you know hone in on what you know and um what you've learned and i think that's where it becomes the most fun. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, definitely. The other hack I would have is don't bother growing baby salad leaves, which is a bit controversial because I know everyone does. But it's a pain, isn't it? I mean, how much, how long have you got to stand at the sink washing those blooming leaves? <laughs> I, I cannot be bothered. And you, you sow them and, and, you know, they sprout and you cut them with your scissors and everything and then you're left with all this soil to wash off. So now I just sow mature lettuces. So I grow webs Wonderful every year. And I sow them as mature lettuces and they grow nice and big. And I love that because you just cut the whole thing down and then you eat the whole thing. Yeah. Again, I think that comes back to that thing of of trying things out yourself and seeing what mm, works for you absolutely. rather than just reading everything, everything that you read, you know, exactly. in a book or in a magazine. I've got two kids. So, so, so one lettuce would feed us for one salad. So it's brilliant. So I just know I'll sow this many lettuces. And so every two weeks I'll sow another load of lettuces and, um, and then I'll have enough of that lettuce. And I know I like that lettuce. It's a good one. Um, and it's quite nice when you, you just get, because with a whole lettuce, you get the middle leaves, which are all crispy and lovely. Mm-hmm. And then you get the outside leaves, which are all green. And sometimes with baby salad leaves, I find it's all a bit limp. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When you're eating mm-hmm. a salad, it's like yeah. everything is just bleh. Whereas, um, anyway, so that would be a hack, is don't, um, don't waste time washing vegetables at the kitchen sink mm. oh and don't overcrowd things quickly I must add that because when I lived in London my garden was literally the size of a, of a, a, a minivan and I grew so much there and I remember stuffing in you know six to six potatoes in a tiny raised bed um, squashed in with other crops or whatever and you know they never grew more than tiny little marbles and I, I used to call them potatinis and they they really would just go down this plug hole. Of course, I would still eat them. I would I would try to eat even the tiny babies. But yeah, overcrowding that's a failure. Easy one to make at the beginning. So um, the last thing we like to finish on is whether you have any lessons that you've learned along the way. And obviously, I think you've touched on some of those uh, already. Probably, but if yeah. there was one thing that you could leave our listeners with, what would it be? Goodness, Ooh, it's hard. You see, because. I mean, there's little things like life's too short to wait for turmeric to sprout in an airing cupboard, which I. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, another one I say, don't bother with microgreens. But again, that's just on. It's not nice for people who like micro. I just again, it's laziness, yeah. but I can't be asked. I sometimes think of microgreens as being that thing that people that are just really keen to just keep growing all through the winter that don't have a polytunnel mm. necessarily or a heated greenhouse. Totally that's what they do you know it's just that one thing you can do all the time I know it's just that you end up with nothing you end up with literally a spoonful of cress or something and it's like what was it anyway um well I just think uh I think I've talked about all my other things and I think I've mentioned them in my other categories now because I've been going back and forth um 
but yeah, I would just say lessons are learn from your own experience. You know, it, it, don't worry if you get things wrong. Just mm. do it, do it, and learn. And as I said, it just doesn't matter if things die. Really, I mean, they're only a seed or a plant. It's not going to cost a fortune. Um, and yeah. learn for yourself. You know, do little experiments. It's fun. So two mm. pots of seeds, different spacing. Which one works best? Do that next year. That's what I like doing. Like mm. plant potatoes in pots, six in one, one in the other. How many did you get? What was the size? And then you can just get better at it and feel like you understand it more. Um, but the other one that I've never, and I have to admit, I've never really got very good at this. And I, it's one of the things I need to get better at is that whole successional sewing thing. Mm-hmm. And I know, it, it, you know everyone says, oh, successional sew between, you know, whatever. And it's very hard to remember. And again, that's a Google calendar alert thing or whatever phone alert. It's quite useful to remind yourself. But um yeah, that really does make all the difference. Just sowing a pinch of lettuce every two weeks over the summer, a pinch of radish, pinch of onions, whatever, of spring onions. That really does take a, a sort of average growing year to a really like, wow, I've really nailed it this year. You know, it's kind of endless um, supply of stuff. So that would be a lesson that I've learned. You do have to get on top of that if you want to have a, a proper good supply of food. Mm. Um and um and also don't um don't use spent mushroom compost or wood ash on raspberries or blueberries or fruit trees all of which i do have done um and only realized this year to my shame that wood ash is really alkaline i had no uh, idea i always thought wood ash was just high in potash therefore good for fruit fruiting plants mm-hmm. not realizing that it was incredibly alkaline and because we have um our whole heating is wood fired we have a biomass wood pellet boiler that heats our house so we have endless supply of ash and I was thinking I was doing the right thing going around the orchard (laughs) chucking huge amounts of ash all over it and the raspberries and um they they weren't happy at all and then I realized why and it's the same with spent mushroom compost that's very alkaline so don't use that Mm. on berries um so the other thing is think back from the end product I think yeah so what do you want to eat? How much of it will you eat? And then work out again when you do what. Mm. And then you can you can actually write that down in advance. So you don't end up with, you know, a huge glut of stuff you don't want. Um I'm I mean I'm forever growing things I don't even like just for fun. And then thinking, what was that for? I mean, I grew a ton of um yakon. I don't think I've ever eaten yakon. <laughs> well, exactly. You haven't missed out, I'll tell you that much. I grow yakon stevia, okra. Um, I grow lots of stuff you know sometimes it's research but sometimes it's just curiosity and um, yeah sometimes you can find yourself with stuff that you don't end up eating I've got yakon sitting outside in a pot which probably I should have eaten by now but it's just um, you know it's it's not worth doing stuff unless you're going to actually enjoy it unless you're actually going to enjoy eating it it really isn't Mm. I think there's some really sound advice in there so thank you so much for chatting to us and I think that uh, if there's a room for a new book, it might be 50 things to use tights for in the garden or something along those lines, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I could do at least 100. But, of course, now we, never, now we never leave the house. No one ever needs to get dressed properly, so I don't have any new yes. tights. I'm running way Absolutely out. those tights. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thank Alex. you. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, Laura, I think we should grab Malcolm from Marshall's Garden on the line and hear about companion planting. Yes, let's do it. 
Hello, Malcolm. It's great to have you back on the podcast. How are you? Very well, thanks, Laura. Thanks for asking me back on. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. Busy as always and uh, just uh, hoping for um, slightly better weather than we had a few weeks ago and uh, looking forward to those longer evenings as well. Oh, yes. I can't wait for that. Yeah, we've been noticing that it's been um, drawing out a little bit and it makes such a difference, doesn't it? It does. Uh, very wet in a lot of areas, which is a real challenge, of course. But uh, again, let's just hope for some drier days and some sunshine. Yeah. Now, you're here today to talk to us about companion planting. And I've got to admit that when I first got into gardening, the idea of companion planting blew my mind. Because when I was growing up um, in, with my grandparents, they were quite traditional in how they did stuff. So it would be we'll use, you know, certain sprays to get rid of this or or whatever and we'll plant in the same way that we always have done. So the idea of companion planting was kind of uh, a new idea for me. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Sure. Yeah, I, I think some of the aspects of companion planting are quite long established. But as you say, they're not all familiar to everybody. Perhaps some of them are things that people have been doing but uh, didn't uh identify them under the heading of companion planting mm, sure. but really it's just about planting different crops next to each other for the benefit of one or both of them um, and of course it's visually very attractive as well mm. but the key ways in which we use companion planting and particularly with vegetable growing are firstly to use one plant to deter pests or attract pest predators or just attract pests away from a crop that may be prone to those pests and doing that as you say without chemicals uh, it can be used also to attract pollinators which we know are absolutely essential for the crops that we grow mm -hmm. you can use it to provide a screen or a shelter for other smaller or less robust crops it's a way of helping to smother weeds it's a good way of maximizing growing space and particularly in between slower growing crops yeah. Some uh, vegetables will uh, introduce nutrients into the soil for the benefits of others. And as I said, it looks great too. So amongst your veg patch, having some flowers really brightens it up as well. Yeah, that sounds really great. So you, you mentioned um, companion planting in an edible space. What are some of the best companion plants that you can weave into an edible garden and what do they, they do for the crops that you're planting them near? Okay, well, if I mention a couple of favourites, nasturtiums are a good one for attracting aphids away from crops like beans, or courgettes or cucumbers mm -hmm. and also keeping the egg-laying white butterflies away from cabbages and other brassicas. Mm. Another one, another favourite, uh, tagetes, French marigolds, and they have a smell that deters whitefly, so they're really good to plant near tomatoes. Uh, and a third one that I've mentioned, um, any smelly herbs, any aromatic herbs, so planting things like lavender and rosemary, um, mint, chives, dill, borage, garlic, all of those kinds of things, they're great for deterring flies and beetles uh, away from attracting, attacking crops like carrots, brassicas, onions and radishes. Yeah. Um, and they're also useful in the flowering garden, just as an aside. So putting them near roses, great for keeping the aphids away. Yeah, they're definitely um, real workhorse crops in the garden, aren't they? Because you mentioning nasturtiums um, a minute ago reminded me that this year I actually planted nasturtiums because I wanted nasturtiums in my salad. 
but unfortunately they did become something of a sacrificial plant in the garden so <laughs> didn't get to enjoy too much of them myself but lots of the pests did enjoy them that that is a problem so it, 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 it the only thing you can say is if they've done some good with your uh, edible crops then that's a good yeah thing. absolutely um so looking at the collection that you have available um at Marshall's Garden do you have any personal favorite companion plants whether they be long-standing ones or new things that you've introduced this year are there any that you would really recommend to the listeners in terms of specific varieties amongst the nasturtiums I really like burning embers it's a personal choice but it's a lovely mix of bright colors mm -hmm. amongst the uh, French marigolds the tagetes I'd pick out uh, three of the new ones that we've introduced this year Goldilocks, Firebird and Chica and they're in our current seed catalogue, our little book of seeds. Yeah, so when when you're using them in your own garden, do you um is there a certain time of year that's particularly crucial for companion planting or is it something that you weave into your garden year round? Well, certainly during the active growing season and the active season for pollinators, um, I think it's important to consider the whole season. Uh, we I mentioned very briefly at the start about it being beneficial to plant some things to attract pollinators to, to others. And the RHS have a fantastic list of plants for pollinators you can find on their website. And they group that by season, spring, summer, autumn. And uh, it's useful then not just to think about bees or even just bumblebees, but all the different species of bees and hoverflies and butterflies mm -hmm. and to attract them in throughout the year. And of course, plants that attract birds, which in turn keep the insect population down. And that that too is a, you know, a season long thing. Yeah, definitely. So, Blake, what do you think? Will you be adding some companion plants to your garden this season? Well, I am definitely looking to plant some nasturtiums this year, uh, partly because I want to try them in salads. But if, if, if nothing else, then at least they'll try and keep the pests off some of my other edible crops, hopefully. Yeah. So I'm a convert on that front. Um, how about you? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, as I mentioned, I believe in the last episode of the podcast, my dream garden is basically Alice Fowler's garden. And there's a lot of interplanting and companion planting going on there. So maybe this is the first step to my dream garden. Yeah. And as I said before, a lot of uh, things that come under the heading of companion planting, you perhaps don't even think about. So planting uh, quick growing salad leaves in between slower growing crops that's companion planting you might mm -hmm. yeah. call it a catch crop or planting other vegetables in in the lee of sweet corn that's companion planting the shelter they provide and stopping other vegetables from bolting that's companion planting too yeah um well that's really great and that's all such interesting stuff um so thank you very much for your time today malcolm thank you and um people can find the full marshall's garden collection at marshallsgarden.com can't they they can find it there and also they'll find uh, on the website a handy guide to companion planting covering what we've been talking about today fab oh brilliant so that's marshallsgarden.com for all of your companion planting needs um blake shall we grab a cup of tea and get stuck into some more garden chat see you in five Nora. Yeah. What's up? I have some 
bad, bad news. Oh, no. I'd been excitedly, I've mentioned to you that I haven't had much going on in the garden over winter. Because yeah. one, wanted a bit of a break. Two, always get a bit lazy at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Three, it's cold and wet. Who wants to be outside? <laughs> so hadn't had much going on. The one thing I did do, and I might have already told you, was that I decided I'd overwinter some spring onions. Yeah. thought, can easily grow them in pots. They'll be fine. You know, they'll be fine over winter. And then in spring, I might get a nice little early crop of spring onions. So that was my plan. Lovely stuff. Uh, all had been going well. Sowed them at the end of summer, I think, or it might have been early autumn time. Um, so they've been gradually, they fattened up a bit before and then they've kind of just gone a bit dormant over winter, obviously, where nothing's, you know, no heat or anything at all. So mm. they've stopped growing a bit, but they're doing okay. They're healthy enough. And I was hoping they might kind of spring back into life when things warmed up a little bit. So all was good until a couple of days ago, I went out. Right. Uh, noticed that the resident little chubby cat, which is the only way to describe him, he's a chunky boy. <laughs> I mean, don't want to judge, but like, you know, he's one of those cats that clearly goes around the houses getting food from everybody. <laughs> uh, he decided that because there was some rare sunshine and it was on that planter, oh, no. he would sit there and bask in the sun. And I know oh, that you'll no. sympathise with me here because I know that your cats have sat on your strawberry bed and stuff before. So you know how I feel <laughs> because he's like... You know, he's on the larger side. Um, so he was taking up quite a bit of the planter and was just flat. I could just see they were flat, flat underneath him. Oh, I was like, no. oh, no. That's so disheartening. Maybe they'll be okay. But I was going to get him off. And I was like, he looked so happy sitting there in the sun. And I was like, we haven't had much sun recently. So, you know. <laughs> That's very kind of you, it has to be said. Yeah. So he didn't actually, I thought he might move when I went out, but he didn't. Um, <laughs> Stared you straight so in the eye. that was a bit disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he was just kind of, a, he didn't really even stare, to be honest. So he was just napping. Is is this the same cat that breaks into your house and sleeps on your bed? Yeah, he is. So, um, <laughs> And will admit that I have given him treats before because oh. he's a nice, he's a nice young man. Yeah. Um, so it's a shame. <laughs> Left into it. He had a good old nap in the sun. Who wouldn't? You know, it's been a long, hard winter. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So I just gave up on that one. But um. So are they all squashed? Is there any hope of resurrecting them? They were. They just destroyed initially because he's quite heavy. Oh. But, uh, I've noticed over the lot that I was just looking out there just now, and because it's been a couple of days, they are starting to spring back up oh. again. So fingers crossed. I will still get my spring onions. So you need to pop some cat briefing maybe yeah yeah so doesn't... or if this cat is anything like my cats put something there that suggests that that's where you want him to sleep and then that will be the one place yeah. that he doesn't sleep. <laughs> companion plant with some catnip or something <laughs> like. oh yeah or put catnip somewhere else yeah that's a good idea um so yeah that was my little story today which was that it could have been disappointing maybe there's a nice little light at the end of the tunnel there yeah. uh, we will see I will get back to you but hopefully the spring onions seem pretty resilient if they're gonna yeah if you remember to update us in a couple of episodes time do let us know if they make it through yeah um I have something a little bit of a celebratory note to talk to you about mm. um There is a feature on The Telegraph called The Highs and the Lows Over 20 Years of Gardener's Question Time. 
The success of Radio 4's Garden Question Time is down to the knowledge of its experts, its audience and a healthy dose of banter. And this is put together by Bunny Guinness and has various quotes from um, people that have been on the show and look at who's hosted over the years and questions they've been sent in and things. But something that it raises that I thought is really interesting um, is the feature says... I'm often amazed at who listens. A top political broadcaster told me that he adores the programme. He doesn't garden, but just listening to the solutions and enjoying the banter makes him feel better. My theory is that when you think about plants and green spaces, it improves your mood. And then it goes on to say, obviously, it's been well proven that being outside um, is beneficial for your mood. So why shouldn't thinking about plants and green spaces do the same thing? So I think... My question for you is, would you say that a little bit of garden chat does give you a boost? Yes. I come out of this podcast every week after speaking for an hour about the garden and I'm always in a better mood, aren't you? Yeah. And also always really raring to go because I sometimes think that when when you're thinking about it yourself, it's good to think about it. But then hearing other people's opinions and ideas and stuff really gives you an extra an extra boost mm. some extra inspiration and a bit more incentive to feel like yeah that's an amazing point I'll go out there and try that yeah and as much as it's um it is a real thing and it is a real hobby for a lot of people there's also an element of escapism to it I mm, think as well absolutely. especially when like when on here when we're talking to other people about their gardens there's always that element of escapism which I think is quite nice and yeah yeah and another another thing that the feature brings up that I think is a really um interesting point and something that we've touched on a few times in a bit of a different way is that um it talks about how often the experts on the gardeners question time panel might not all have the same opinion about the particular thing they're talking about and Mm. I think that's another thing that you know that brings that element to gardening that you don't all have to think the same thing. You can try different techniques and different methods and you can have a bit of a debate about it and a bit of banter about it, but it's all all good-natured. Diversity of opinion is good and um, and everybody's garden is different as well, so it's not always the case that everything that works for one person will work for somebody else. So sometimes it is just that there are different ways about going about things, so it is really, I think, one of its charms as a show is that that they you know have that banter between them and that um that they don't always you know these are really well respected people within the industry people like Bob Flower, Joanne with and Pippa Greenwood you know mm. that have these conversations but they don't always come out of it on the same side or that mm. you know they're not always making the case for the same thing on there so yeah definitely um happy birthday to Gardener's Question yeah time. I mean we would sing but I don't think Gardener's Question Time would want that <laughs> our present to you is us not singing happy birthday (laughs) well I suppose I had better get back to some magazine work but I believe you have some jobs on the plot yeah I'm ready to go Us gardeners are all guilty of hoarding seed packets, thinking that they'll come in handy eventually. But their contents viability doesn't last forever. 
and sowing dead seeds is disheartening and a waste of precious propagation space and time. So, how can you avoid it? Well, some crops do last longer than others. For example, parsnip seeds plummet in viability within the year, whereas radish and lettuce can be kept for three or four years. A quick search on the internet should offer up viability tables, assuming the seeds have been stored in a cool, dry place. This will help you to make a judgment on which to keep and which to lovingly say farewell to. So, if you're as much of a seed pack hoarder as I am, now is the time to have a pre-spring clean. On the subject of seeds, whilst it's still far too early to get most underway during February, those slow to mature crops like sweet peppers, chilies, and aubergines should be given priority in your propagator. This will give them plenty of time to get a head start on the season and should mean you'll be tucking into fat and tasty produce later in the year. Finally, don't forget to get lifting those leaks if you're still faced with a plot jam-packed with the typically pungent stems. Before long, and as the weather warms, they'll be more likely to bolt, which will ruin their eating quality. So spend some time lifting, washing, and thinking up exciting dishes to use them up in so that they don't go to waste. Have a lovely week, and until next time, from all of us here at The Dirt, happy growing. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Dirt, in partnership with Marshalls. Marshalls Garden is an online gardening shop where it's easy to find everything you need for gardening all in one place. Founded over 75 years ago, its heritage is in supplying vegetable seeds and plants, including seed potatoes, onions, fruit plants and trees to grow your own gardeners. The company's passion, expertise and excellence continues in 2021, where it will launch over 130 new seed varieties. Specialists in garden care, Marshalls has the best range of compost, fertilisers, controls and hardware you will find online. Order from the easy-to-use website or from the delightful catalogue for convenient delivery direct to your door. You'll find lots of help and advice on the website including growing guides, seasonal advice, monthly jobs and inspiration for projects to do in the garden. Just visit marshallsgarden.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 Seven triple zero, and quote GPod seven to receive seven issues of our magazine. Grow your own straight to your door for just twenty nine ninety nine. That's eleven ninety four off. Every issue is edited by me and the team, and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list. And a big bonus: each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds, so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share, let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.